0: Grace, peace to you from our triune God. Amen. It's the sound that I think most parents have encountered the crashing of metal cookware onto the kitchen floor, followed by that brief, concerning silence. And then the banging and clanging starts. The toddler has found the spoons. And the pans, and has decided that they've now become an aspiring drummer. I can say uh, with some degree of relief that this hasn't happened in the Gould house yet, though it probably won't be long now since Kenlin loves figuring out the different sounds that different things make in the kitchen. As uh, he helps us uh, get dinner ready after we've picked him up. Uh, From the sitters every uh, day. It's almost a, a moment of pride for us as parents, I think, as kids do this the first time. It's a sign that they're developing well, right? It's a healthy part of their growth. But that doesn't mean that it's musical in the way that we normally think. There's no consistent beat, no pleasant tones and there's no melody. None of the markers that we would uh, look for and identify with music created prior to the 20th century. Eventually, all of this becomes grating on our senses. The noise, be is, the noise, noise is absolutely incomprehensible, and it assaults our nerves. This might be the image we get when we hear Paul's words to the Corinthians. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. But I don't think this gets to the situation that Paul was writing to address with the Corinthian church. Or we might have our minds wander a bit. Maybe to the weddings that we've attended. Perhaps even your own wedding where first uh, Corinthians 13 was read. And it's not bad to apply the wisdom of these words to our relationship with our spouse, but marriage isn't the context of this crisis that Paul's trying to resolve for the Corinthians either. If you've been here the past several weeks, you'll know that the Corinthian church was incredibly divided. Over, um, it was divided over uh, some of the Corinthians puffed up sense of self-worth as a result of certain spiritual gifts and the misunderstanding of the, what those gifts meant. And so we get Paul's initial words. If I speak in tongues of mortals and of angels but do not have love I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. As is often the case with 2,000-year-old texts, we might misunderstand this. Paul might not have been talking about gongs and symbols as we might think of them today. What we translate as gong might be more accurately referring to some sort of metallic device used to amplify the human voice in the Greek theater, And the clanging cymbals might have had more to do with the practices of the pagan cult of Sabael. None of these things would have been considered a compliment to the Corinthians, mind you. Um, I can't put it any more bluntly than uh, a theologian I I encountered this week. Uh, And so Richard B. Hayes uh, puts it this way. Paul might have been criticizing the Corinthians' worship as nothing more than the empty echo of an actor's speech or the noise of frenzied pagan worship. With this kind of sentiment, we might not blame some people for not having much of a stomach for Paul. He does seem to complain a lot, and he does seem to have a flair for language that is over the top. But I think that we'd be doing a great disservice to him and what he has to tell us if we ignored it. I want to reread uh, the First Corinthians passage. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, and then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. And the greatest of these is love. So we see that without love, the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit has freely given us mean absolutely nothing. In fact, they mean worse than nothing. Without love, we've squandered the gifts that God has given us in his all-sufficient, abounding grace. And if we're honest, choosing love most of the time is difficult. There are people that are difficult in our lives. There are polarizing ideas and issues. And responding in true, godly love is difficult. In a world that isn't black and white, but a wide array of grays, love seems to be the more difficult ways. But love is the more excellent way that Paul points us to. It would be impossible for us on our own. I know it would be for me, because I fail in choosing love more often than I'd probably care to admit. But we're not on our own. God is with us, and Christ paved the way for us in love. Our gospel lesson for this morning, Luke 4, 21 through 30, shows us clearly that true love often provokes people. Christ references God's care for Gentiles during Elijah's time, as well as during Elisha's, at the expense of the Israelites. Christ was opening the door for God's love to be known, not just to Israel, but to all people in all times and in all places. And this threw the Jewish people to whom he was speaking into a murderous frenzy. Clearly, love is not always the easy way. But we know that we all fall short of God's expectations for our lives, and we'd all stand condemned if it weren't for God's amazing and all-encompassing love for us. Christ came so that we might not be dead in our sins, but have life through him, and that is a powerful love. Not only that, but we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to love not as the world loves. We don't love only those who can benefit us or love us back, but we love all people. That is God's way of love. There's a story about Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, and I'm not sure if it's true. But basically, it tells us that he's a typical teenager. When he was young, he was living with his father, Leopold, who was himself an accomplished musician. And after um, being out having a night on the town, Wolfgang would come home after his father was asleep in bed and loudly play a scale, leaving off that final uh, resolving note. And most people, but especially musicians, uh, find this absolutely aggravating. So the story goes that his father, Leopold, would toss and turn in his sleep. And um, until he finally couldn't stand it anymore and had to drag himself out of bed, go downstairs and play that final note that resolved the scale Like the scale that young Wolfgang Mozart began to playful, or began, uh, so that uh, he could playfully annoy his father, the music of the love of God has already begun. Musicians live their craft. How are we living the love of God? Like musicians, we have to work at our craft. Just like musicians practice scales, we spend time in prayer and devotion to God. Just as musicians practice a piece's difficult passages over and over, we we wrestle with the texts that give us trouble. Just as ensembles uh, get together to um, prepare together, we join one another in Bible study, in Sunday school, and in worship. We each have a part to play in God's symphony of salvation. Some of us might be at the beginning stages. We might feel more at home with the pots and pans on our kitchen floors. But as we grow in God's love, we pick up other instruments, joining our brothers and sisters in Christ in the most beautiful music under the direction of God that this world has ever heard. In the end, God will provide that final, resolving, life-giving note, bringing all of life to himself. And we look forward to that day. Amen. Amen.